Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad Brown. This week, I am once again joined by Adrian and Dan, and we're talking about taking a stand. We differentiate between taking a stand and being positioned. It's an intriguing conversation, and I'm not sure it's a distinction that many of us think about very often, so I can't wait for you to listen in. Of course, before we get started, I want to mention so many of you that listen to this podcast are going through some changes in your organization right now, and uh, change management is a hot topic. There's a lot of bad information out there on change management, and there is some great information on change management, and actually some transformational information from Dan on change management. No matter the kind of change that you're dealing with in your organization, I'm willing to bet that there's certain characters showing up within your organization that either are proponents of the change or fighting against it. This ebook from Dan, The Change Imperative, talks about all of the different characters that show up during a time of change in an organization and how to motivate them or deal with them. Uh, go to change-imperative.com, get yourself a free copy. And now let's get into the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. This is Chad Brown. I'm here with Adrian and Dan. How are you, gentlemen? Doing great. Doing great. Hey, uh, I'm here today to take a stand. (laughs) Damn, let's go, baby. (laughs) Let's let's take a stand. Let's talk about it. But first, I want to understand what we're talking about when we talk about taking a stand. And you, both of you just did a training this last weekend on this very topic. And that's kind of what prompted us to sit down and talk about uh, what taking a stand is. What does it mean? How do we do it? Or how do we become the kind of person who does it? Or are we always taking a stand? And it's more about getting connected to the stand that we're taking. So there's a lot to explore here. But I think the best place to start is just getting acquainted with and locating ourselves on the conversation. What does it mean to take a stand? What are we talking about when we say taking a stand? And Dan, I, I propose to you, you know, taking to, uh, two different topics, taking a stand and uh, the power of commitments. And you said back to me, well, taking a stand is a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we'll make so it, you know, it's kind of crazy when you talk about this subject in order to really, it's when, when I talk about taking a stand, normally you think, or we think we're going to stand up against something. Yes. Or we're going to take a position, you know, or we're going to, you know, somehow we're reacting to something or we're standing for something outside of us. Right. And so I want to make a distinction between that. There's a couple of distinctions that get conflated. Right. And you know what I mean by conflated distinctions are things that, you you know, that bring something from the background into the foreground so you can see it. Like, so think about how often we mistake things like how if you take this down into a simple relationship like you with your spouse and your spouse is telling you something about how she feels or he feels about you. They're, they're upset. They want to talk about it. And you start to listen and then you interrupt. Well, well, that's not how it is. Well, no, that, but that's not how it is. You know, let me tell you how it is. And that's a distinction, right? It's like, I think that if I listen, somehow I'm agreeing with what my spouse or partner is saying versus I'm just listening to understand, right? And that distinction, understanding and, and, um, agreeing gets conflated very easily. And when it gets conflated, I get reactive, right? There's actually a physical reaction because there's power in the distinction, 
Right. So the minute I can see that and separate them, I can go, oh, I can listen and not have to agree. I, I can listen and really start to understand how my partner, whoever it is in business, married to whatever, is seeing the world and I can connect. So those distinctions, we want to make those distinctions about a stand. We want to make some distinctions. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and what I mean, the the purpose of distinction is so that we've got, at least for me, part of it is purpose of distinction is so I've got more versatility. That's part of it for me. It's like if I can, if I can see the distinction like between the ideas and we and and most of us are really attached to our ideas like that would probably be like the default setting is we're all very attached to our ideas. We can get detached and see our ideas happening. And so we we're, so we don't feel like we're you know taken over by some idea or taken over by what somebody else is saying. You know, so we want to be able to see and make these distinctions between the ideas. And the purpose of that for me is a lot of versatility so I can show up in the conversation in multi in a myriad of ways because I don't feel so hooked or trapped by just one perspective. So that's at least for me some of the purpose of making distinction so that I've got some more internal versatility so that I can end up being with somebody else. And you can think about application in your own life. Part of it is like being with yourself and your own personal habits, being with your partner, either romantically or you could talk about partners at work or team. Like, you know, so you can see and be in lots of different ways and you've got some more versatility so you can show up really powerfully, you know, and look with versatility, I, you know, I lose the feeling of being trapped. That's part of the, yeah. part of the reason well, for me is not, that not as cramped in the space. Not as cramped in. Don't feel tied down. Don't feel like put in a corner um, because I end up not reacting well to that. If I feel put in a corner, I'm coming out hard, you know, or I'm throwing grenades or whatever figuratively you want to say, I'm getting out of here. You don't get to do this to me. He's got some good ones. So, you know, so anyway, that's kind of, I, I, I liken it to like the feeling, like part of the distinction is like, what's the, like when I'm feeling lost, am I lost or am I on a path that I need to identify? That would be a distinction, right? Am I lost or am I on a path that I need to identify? I could go with, I'm lost or I could go with, oh, where am I? I wonder where I am. Let me find that out. Right. So that's a, just a, you know, an example of a d- way to look at something that's distinct that makes the world a difference, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm lost is a finality. There's a finality to it, right? There's a this is this is it. I'm lost. Yeah. Where living, I wonder where I am. Let me find what path I'm on. Is an openness. It's a it's a like you said. It's it's open in front of you. There's many possibilities and there's options of how to figure it out. Which is which is really a powerful distinction. Now you're touching on the. Another distinction that's vital in kind of getting to the stand, because what, we, what we're talking about when we say stand versus a position, right? Like we talked about before, and that's living in a question. I don't know about you, but it seems to me, I know for me, I'm constantly fighting, trying to find an answer, like the answer. And our culture is so wrapped up in the answer. I mean, if you think about the political situation right now, and there's a great metaphor like you know, the, the political situation is like a train driving down the track doing 50 million miles an hour, however, you know, going fast. And, you know, uh, 
we all are on one side of the train. If you're on the left side of the train and that's a good side of the train, it's going to work. And, oh, no, this is not working. So it's not changing the direction of the train because the train's headed somewhere and we know where it's headed. And we go, we don't want to go there. So then we go over to the right side of the train and yet it still doesn't change the direction of it. Right. So how do you, you know, like the, when we talk about stand, a position would be the left or the right side of the train. And then we'd argue about what side of the train we ought to be on rather than how do we get in front of this thing and lay new track? Like we wouldn't even think about that. We'd go, well, that's, that's impossible. We, so, but we'd rather stay in what's familiar than start to push out and ask ourselves new questions. So when we're, we're talking about stand, we're talking about a way of being in the world, right? A way of being with one another. And, and it starts with a question because let's face it. I don't know about you, but I like answers. I mean, there's such a benefit to answers, right? I mean, if I have an answer that I know where I'm headed, right? I Like I used an example yesterday in this training. You could, if you look at the door in your room and you say the door is the answer, then you know where to focus and you know what direction you're going to be get going in. And you can, I can predict how I'm going to get there. And I feel secure about my life. Now I get to the door and I stand there and somebody says, well, the door is a question. Why don't you open it up? Right. I think, think about a question as an opening and I start to ask a question. I start to live in the question. The door opens up. And what happens is I see all kinds of answers. There are many answers. I'll never forget my son when he was about 12. I used to, you know, instead of spanking him, I'd sit down and ask him questions when he did something. So one day he's about four or five years old. And I sit him down. We're going to have a little conversation my wife used to go, she'd walk by and see me in there and she'd go, oh, because, you know, we'd be in there for a while. I sit him down. I go, okay, now let's talk about what you did with your sister. And he goes, can you just spank me, dad? And I go, why? He goes, because you're going to ask questions and have too many answers. And I can't get them out of my head when I'm done. And he goes, James, dad, just spanks them and it's over with. I go, no, son, we're going to have a conversation. I want to understand what went on. So, but that's literally what he said is so true because he would enter the question. He would say, all these different answers. And the cool thing about that is if you live in the question, then you can work on any answer at any given time. And if it doesn't work, you're not stuck with it. Right. Right. You can get onto a, another, try out other answers, see how they look like that. Mm. Always living in the question. As we keep talking about this, I mean, it's going to be good just to kind of, we could talk about examples of what's happening. We could talk about, I mean, there's like so much here as I'm even in this conversation. Now I'm thinking about where to really, I was thinking, where else to to dip our you know toe in the water here? Well, you know, there, there's the neuroscience of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, what happens to us physiologically? Just naturally knowing how we are as a biological machine is valuable. Yeah, because that can get in the way of taking a stand. And, yeah, and, and if you think about it, we have a you know we live in life. We there are two ways that we we're really familiar with, with deriving information and understanding of the world. One is our experience and the other is uh, our ideas about the experience our conceptualizations are the cognitive aspects of our existence. Right. And both are valuable. Right. I mean, we go out and we experience something. I think about it. You have a great, you have a great conversation with a client and you, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you think, oh, man, this is great. We're going to get along good. You know, we're going to do business together. Things are going to go well. They're going to buy a bunch of my product or services or whatever. And the next conversation you have with them, 
they're, they're, they're questioning some things that they thought about. And now you might go, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't how we were last time. And now what I might start doing is trying to fit that experience, the new experience, into this concept that this client is really interested rather than connecting with them. And we do this with relationship. We do this with everyone. We start to neurologically, we degenerate our experiences or devolve them into concepts. And then we try to fit our experience, new experience into that concept. And if it doesn't fit, we get thrown into survival, which sounds like, well, there's something wrong or bad or broken with me or with it, whatever we're doing, or the person we're doing it with, it or them. And the minute I start hearing that in my mind, I know I've probably, I'm not showing up. I'm now in reaction to what's going on, and I'm probably going to start protecting myself or finding ways to preserve myself because I'm not quite sure this person is safe because they're not fitting or the situation isn't safe into the concept I've derived from it. So the concept starts to dominate our experience. We start to not allow ourselves to speak certain things, et cetera. And I'm not saying you just speak without a filter, but yeah. we, we lose resource about other things we could, we could bring into the conversation that could make a difference. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to, put, to put some other language on it too, I'm just, you know, so for those that are thinking, are listening here and thinking about it, you know, this might this might sound like this this I guess this juncture in the in the road might sound like this isn't might sound like this this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, right. When I'm saying this isn't the way it's supposed to be, I'm realizing I'm in a concept of the way it's supposed to be. Right. So that concept is is and me having that concept as if the concept is life generates frustration for me because I'm having an experience that's distinct from my concept of what should be happening. Now think about your own life right now and think about all the complaints you have, right? About what's not working the way it quote unquote should be working. Who's not being the way they should be even for yourself. What's wrong with you? You know, whatever I, I, I know, even for myself, it's like, Oh, I'm not exercising as much as I should be. I'm not eating as well as I should be. I'm not as energized as much as I should be all these kind of shoulds, you know, that that's how this, if you want to find out if you're in the conversation we're talking about, Listen to the shoulds in your life, because mm -hmm. that's where we've got a concept, our view of how things should be, and it's not matching our experience. So we resist. We resist the experience it's like there's something wrong with the experience we're having in the moment because it doesn't match with that concept of how things should be. And that generates part of the, con con the conversation here is for us, because that's true in our own mind, mm -hmm. that generates an experience for us. And usually one of frustration. So we don't want what's here. Yeah. It's like, and then if you're listening to Adrian, you might be saying in your mind, yeah, but Adrian, you don't know what I've been through. I've tried everything. I've done everything I could to get to turn out. Right. And what Adrian's addressing too is that, is that distinction. There's another distinction in there, the distinction between what you're making up about it and what it really is. And yeah. you bought, you bought your own spin. Yeah. Right? And, and you go, well, you don't, you don't know, man. You haven't lived with my spouse. You haven't heard how they lay it on me. They blame me. You, have, you don't know what they've done to me. And so there's an incredible amount of evidence that we build or we gather to be right about what we've decided about the situation. Because quite frankly, 
we don't trust enough to open up to something new because right. we have the story that goes, well, uh, last time I did this, they slapped me or they yeah. made fun of me or they hurt me. So now I'm going to shut down. And, and this, this, that really, you know, you think about trust, this is a different, I mean, trust is revealed in openness, right? So if I'm, and, and, and what I mean is I'm not saying, can I give an example of this? Dan? Do it. Do it. Yeah. It's because I mean, I was in a conversation with a client, one of my favorite clients right now. She's in the middle of a company that's revealing a bunch of organizational changes right now, globally known brand. And she's got three new leaders that she, and two other leaders that are going to be reporting directly to her and this new team. And it's all covert right now. It's not been revealed yet. So she was asking me in a coaching call about, hey, uh, you know, I've got I've got three meetings with these with these two other leaders. And we're going to be talking about the next iteration of the team. And she's both excited about it and nervous about it and all these types of things. She's a great leader. She gets the fact that like how she builds these relationships now will pay dividends. Either if she kills it now, if she really builds wonderful resource in these relationships, it's going to trickle down and create, generate really mag, you know, magnetic, um, hard driving, loving culture. And if she breaks it up now and it becomes really mechanistic or, or totalitarian or whatever, that's going to have, so she knows the game, right? She gets it. These meetings matter. And she says to me, you know, Hey, I want to build some trust, you know? And so do you have any ideas on how to talk about trust? And I said, sure, but that's not going to do it. It's not going to make the difference. It's not going to make the difference. And so I said, well, why don't you actually invite them into an exercise? You got three people, you got three meetings, first half of every meeting. Why don't you guys tell really your own story about who you are, you know, what you're going to bring to the table, what you're scared about, what your insecurities are, what, what you, what more, what help you're going to need that you're unwilling to ask, but you know, that, you know, kind of have a vulnerable conversation about really what you need from one another and what you're, how, where you hide instead of showing up. Anyway, have a broad conversation about you and really reveal yourselves to one another. And then trust will have happened. And then you'll have trust because you'll have been open and listening to one another and been really transparent and trust will have happened. So instead of talking about trust, you'll actually have been trust with one another. But and- what happens, Adrian, if I trust and give them what I am, what I open up and I'm vulnerable and they're not. Yes. What if they, then, then they- you will die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's how it feels, right? I mean, right. Right? exactly. Because then I'll say, the person might say, well, then I feel betrayed. But what Adrian's suggesting is not to trust them. You might say trust yourself, but let's say trust your way of being that that your that the way of being will all even though they may not the first time, second time start to get it as you stand, because that's what we're talking about. So if you think about that, there's a vicious cycle with the idea that you're trying to cram your experience into a concept and it never fits. And there's this sense of dissonance. So you keep trying and you, we kind of stand in the gap between our experience and our concepts until we stand, which means that what Adrian's talking about, we say, no matter what the experience is, I'm going to come from this place because I get it serves what I'm committed to in my life. So if I'm committed to being a resource to those and like I look up and I say, look, this project's got to get done. It's going to require a sense of 
urgency and it's going to require a sense of openness because we've got to discover new things. We've never done anything like this. Then I'm going to stand as that openness and that I'm going to stand as in, in a way I'm going to be committed to no matter what comes my way, it is resource for the stand. Yeah. Place for me to bring forth. That's what standing means to call forth what's wanted and needed. It's a, so I become like, if you will, the context for whatever comes in, I am going to bring forth what I'm standing for with whatever content appears in the moment with whoever I'm with. Yeah. Dan, you, uh, Dan, you share a, a story often that I feel like just on so many levels can connect some of these points. And I'm wondering if you can tell it. It's the one where you're uh, in prison starting the training and the gentleman stands up and calls you out for being a rich white man. What, what do you know? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of trainings I've done in prisons and with guys in prisons and ex gang members. And, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man and a lot of them are black and I don't have their experience. They don't have mine. And inevitably I know I'm going to get called out on that, which is okay. It's fine. It's part of the dance. My stand is to connect with them. My stand is to contribute to them for their future. So this guy stands up and he tells me that. He says, you know, look, um, how do you know what I've experienced? And I go, I told him, I don't. I don't know what you've experienced. But I do know I can stand for you in your future. I mean, I can be here for you in a way that would support you in whatever you're committed to in your life. And, he, I, and I'd ask him, this all starts with, I usually ask, well, what's your vision? And what do you think most of those guys, their vision is? Get out. Get out. And I say, well, that's not a vision. That's a position. What do you mean that's a position? Well, I mean, you spend your whole time in here trying to get out, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, now, when you get out, then what do you do? Long silence. Well, you come back. That's why we have an 87% recidivism rate in prison is that we have a tendency when, when I get out, now what? Who am I now? And I drift back to what I'm familiar with, to the concepts I've had of myself. So my point to them, my, my, my invitation would, as always with them, hey, look, what if this was the opportunity to stand now here to produce, to have what's most important to you, whether you get out or not? And then as you stand and you start to order, because what happens in a stand when I'm standing the circumstances start to order themselves around the stand. Think of a river. If you stand in a river and you, you stand strong, it, the water flows around you and it creates an ebb behind you. And other people can stand in the ebb without being pushed by the current, right? And that's what happens. So if I stand, the universe starts to order itself, but particularly it also orders the circumstance in me, my thoughts and my emotions my experience and my conceptions start to line up with and with with a stand because now I'm seeing how it works and I can call forth more of that from myself. I'm less concerned with how I look, if I'm right, if I'm wrong. I'm willing to be wrong to have the stand be present. I'm willing to be humbled to bring forth the stand. I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to be identified, right? Because if you're going to stand you're going to stand out and we don't, we're afraid of that because we know the herd can be vicious. Right. right? Yeah. And, and particularly now these days we got cancel culture. And if you say something that's incorrect and you're a public figure, you, you could get canceled or you could at least have a whole hell of a lot of flack. 
Yeah. And so to take a stand, we innately know, I think, just from genetics, that we become we can become a target. Right. Yeah. It hits me. You know, someone if I'm listening, I, I might be getting some of this because I think there's I mean, there, I, this is bank. There's a powerful distinction. So we're going to keep approaching the, the uh, this this framework. And, and here's here's what hit me that a person like, let's just say if I if I'm standing like this, like we're like we're talking about, I think that you beautifully laid out, Dan. If I'm standing like that, I am both dead and alive. Yeah. You know, so what am I dead to? So I'm dead. Like if I if I am a stand and I'm an opening to get this thing done, I'm an opening for other people. There's there's some inherent ways of relating to to what's happening that are really powerful. And you guys have seen this when you've been around somebody that just seems to dance really well with life, seems to like be trying to find the word in sync. Yeah, in sync. But I was actually thinking not like optimistic or not like hyper positive necessarily. Those might be authentic for some people. We all know people that do that in order to avoid life. That, but like somebody that can really absorb and be synchronized and find a way through whatever's going on is great. Here's where we start. Like, Perfect. you know, a level of acceptance. There's a level of acceptance and there's a level of meaninglessness too. Like, like we're not labeling what's happening as if it really matters. The labels start to not matter. And, and I stop mattering. I, the, my identity, my ego start. I, so when you say empty, I lose track. It, you know, it's like another way of saying this neurologically is you go into um, a, a, the zone or um, the flow state, right? right? Where you lose, your brain actually shuts down the aspect of your brain that makes you separate from things. That's right. So, yeah. So now you're, you're not aware of yourself. You're empty and meaningless. Yeah. So, and the situation is meaningless because it's whatever it is, is okay. Cause that's what is want. That's what I'm going to, that's what I have. And so yeah. from there I can, I, so I, I can go to my wife, let's say, or, and say, I'm going to go love her rather than go get love from her. Right. Like whatever, who, whomever she is in that moment is the invitation to bring forth or call forth love. Yeah. And that might look a million different ways. It's certainly going to probably look different than the way I think it should look. Sure. If you're married, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, and that's what I say. Like, we're both dead and alive. So that's the dead part, right? I've given up. It hit me when you said, like, they've given up their own view of themselves. And I know what that feels like as a, as a trainer and as a speaker and as a coach. When I'm really caught up in how I'm looking or how I'm sounding, I'm, I'm not dead yet. I really want to get to the dead part where I get past myself and give up trying to sustain all this view of myself. And as a leader of a team, you know what this is, you know, you, you, uh, people that are listening, you know what this is like whenever you're in the middle of a crisis and you're really caught up with how you're looking or how people are seeing you, or if you're getting the respect or if they should be doing this or not, or if it's going to work out and it's going to hang around your neck, or if it's like all these natural self-concerns when we're standing, we give up it, it, and it's, it, it must be, you know, uh, volitional. I got it because those those concerns are flying to the surface. Like your brain does not take your vote if the, if if it's going to prioritize survival. It will always prioritize survival when left to itself. But whenever you have a commitment to stand, you can notice the survival tendencies and put those in the background. They're not going away, but they something else becomes more important to you by your choice than just your mere survival. 
So I'm both really dead to my own survival. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. Let me see out there in the world what's wanted and needed. That, and then that way, I'm more alive than I've ever been because I'm not attached to just staying alive. Like if I give up the what I see as the optimal thing to stay alive, if I give that up, I actually become more alive. That's the ironic, that's the paradox of it. If I'm willing to die, I actually live. Well, yeah, it's like the old proverb, you know, the seed that falls into the ground and dies so something can grow, right? It's like, how am I, am I willing, like, is it important enough for me to get involved, right? Because if there's something wrong, bad, or broken with it, them, or me, then I'm going to fight, flight, follow, fool, or freeze to protect myself. Right. So is what I'm standing for as, does it mean enough for me to be fully involved with whatever arises? Right. Right. And that's really the invitation of a stand. That's why this is not something you figure out and you don't inherit it. It's something that you practice. That's why we can talk about it. But defining it is really not what I'm after. It's more like, what's the, what are the questions? How, how does this, whatever I'm involved in, how can I bring forth what I'm standing for? Yeah. How can I engage in a way that that that's actually what I become the space, if you will. I hate that kind of conversation, but the clearing or the context for things to occur. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. anything can occur and I'm there for it. Yeah. Open, open, it's- empty, ready. Yeah. A lot of this is paradoxical as we're talking about, it, you know, because you're you're both, you know, very accepting and naturally very divisive. And here's what I mean by that yeah. is that, you know, if, if somebody's standing and they really are going to lay it all out on the line, they're a very dangerous person to be around because there's no conversation they won't have for the sake of you, the speaker or the mission. That's so true. You know? And that, therefore, they come off very divisive. Like, I don't think I want to go talk to Bob because, man, Bob, you know the conversation you don't want Bob to have, and he might have it. On the other hand, if you're standing, you're actually in full acceptance, in full engagement even with whatever's happening, right? So if you're standing, you're like, you really want to know. I'll ask clients this all the time. We'll talk about vision. They love to talk about that. Then I love, then I talk about what's current reality, like what's really happening now. And I know they're going to tell me about 40% of how bad it is. And I'm going to say, no, how bad is it really? Like if you get off the trying to preserve yourself in the conversation, what else is out there that you don't want to tell me about? Or what is out there that you know that you have a hunch and intuition, all all our leaders are very intuitive, have a hunch something's off, but you know you don't want to go ask because asking would reveal and you've got a big story about yourself about how busy you are right now. So you don't want to know what's actually in the woods over there. What is it really? And that, you know, so if you're standing like this, you actually are, you know, you want the truth. You want what's really happening. You want a clear view. And if you're dealing with people, you'll notice, you know, that where they're holding back is really where you'll go jump in. You really want to invite them to the surface. That's why leaders that stand really get the quote unquote, get the most out of their people. That's not, it's not like using their people like a tool, but it's actually inviting their people fully to the surface with all of their natural competencies and strengths and energeticness. And they're also all of their fears and, and, you know, uh, coping mechanisms and all their lying and deceiving that they do just to preserve themselves. I'm saying it pretty bluntly, but we all do this stuff, right? We withhold in a meeting. Think about the meeting. What are the things that aren't talked about in a meeting? Why aren't they talked about to save somebody's ass, right? We want to look good 
or we don't want to throw somebody under the bus. That's been the nice vernacular that people. I don't want to lose my job. Life. I don't want to lose my position. I don't want to lose my pay. I don't. I don't want to be. You know. Re, you know. There's none of this. That's and right. We're not talking about opinion. Right. Okay? You'll know you're in your opinion because you'll want to defend rather than engage, rather than understand, rather than like calibrate what's who's there and how they're there and how you can be with them to bring forth what's wanted needed. Instead, you'll be trying to get rid of what they're thinking or make them wrong about what they're thinking. Right. So they're very distinct from an opinion, which is more of a position. And you still have your opinions. We're not, you know, you still have them. It just means they don't have to be the thing that's driving you. Yeah. You have them. They don't have you. That's right. (laughs) Well, Oh, good. I was just going to say before we get too far from it, because I didn't get a chance to talk about what, why I wanted Dan to tell that story in prison and why it illustrates so beautifully for me, this principle is that, you know, the first time you told that story, Dan, and you said what he said to you, like, Hey, you're just a rich white guy here to get a trophy. I think yeah. is the, is the word. Thank you for, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, when you first told that story, I was like, Oh shit, that he got him. Like, where, where do you go with that? You know, and then you continue to tell the story. The reason I got there is because if you are there to get a trophy, that's your position. Yes. Then that is a problem. The, the him calling you on it is a problem yeah. but because you were there to stand because you were there to, for um, something totally different to happen than for you to get a trophy or you to look good or you to whatever, but you were there for actual results. It was the perfect thing that could have happened. It was like a gift to the training for him to call you out on that. Yeah. And when he said, well, you know, when he said it, I was just like, considered it. Well, am I, you know, and I thought, well, actually I checked in. No, that ain't why I'm here. Why am I here? Well, I'm here to stand for you. I get it. And that it's, it's like, that's just part of the, the territory, right? If you're going to go stand, then part of the territory is whatever your potential misgivings or, or let's say hidden motives are going to get called to the surface. And if I'm not, if I'm not connected to them, then, and I, at least I'm not aware of them, then I'm going to get defensive. And if I get defensive, then he knows, like if I start making him wrong, then he knows, right? I, I, I to my mind, so that's a good point, right? And here's, and, and, and my point to him was, because his frame was, you don't understand where I've been. And he's right. How could I understand where he's been? I said to him, and you don't understand my track either, right? But that's okay. We can both come together for what we're committed to, a future worth having now, right here. And that opened up yeah. a ton to him. Yeah. And even... Well, this is, a, this, is a potential, this is a potential landmine for a lot of leaders that say a lot of things that they want for their people. Like they say they want, they want to invest in them as humans. They want to uh, create a good work life balance, whatever that means. You know, they, we say all these like quippy things uh, for our people, but then that's not actually our stand. And then those things get called to the surface and it becomes a landmine. And that's when we don't want to get into the conversations because we're going to, we're afraid we're going to, somebody's going to unravel or reveal that that's not actually what we're about. And paradoxically, he, as we got to know each other, a gentleman and myself, as we went through this training and stood, because we worked for months together, I got to understand more about his life because he was willing to share it. It was just in the process of standing together for something, a future worth having. 
he could bring forth his past as a very powerful impetus for that future, right? The wisdom. And and we became good friends and got to understand each other quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about the struggles of leaders we work with. And and I think every leader, including this guy talking, has this struggle. You know, I I think one of of the tensions every leader's got to manage is this idea of, do they know what to do? Right. And I'm thinking and, and I'm thinking about how much the struggle is for so many leaders is that they work hard to come off like they know the answer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of there's a lot of avoidance of revealing, hey, I don't know the answer. And, and for me, this is why this is important to bring up here is that, you know, that that exchange between Mark and yourself. Like that was potentially a gotcha moment. But even if it was true for you, Dan, that, hey, part of you was there as, as a looking good in, you know, looking good in your own eyes and look what I'm doing for all these people. That would have also been meaningless unless you were really attached to it and were there committed to making them a, a trophy. Right. But even if it was there for you, didn't that also didn't matter. No. And I would have confessed it. So it, I was like, yeah, sure. That's part of going on. Sure. Uh, you know, and the, the, the it's interesting you bring that up because that's vital that's that emptiness that's that so what now what and that, i mean i'm thinking of a of a leader in particular uh you know that that organization is in a really you know important transition time right now and there's lots of conversations about where are we going what are we doing next and there's power in a leader saying hey there's a lot i don't know and we'll find out and we'll find out together and that might be the stand but when we're not standing as the possibility if the, if the language doesn't get too flowery here, if I'm not standing as the possibility, I've got to defend how right I am about what's going to happen. About the answer that I'm bringing. That's right. right. But if I'm standing as the possibility, as like the question, what is it going to take? Then okay. I don't know is not a problem. I don't know. Like in this moment, I don't know. Now, it doesn't mean you don't know a whole bunch of things. Of course, you know a whole bunch of things, but it might not be enough to get us across the finish line. Well, it creates a it creates a lot of angst if you don't know because people are looking for an answer, mm-hmm. right? And what if we are the answer? In other words, as the stand, like so, it makes sense that leaders. I mean, I know that feeling, right? If I say I don't know, then they're not going to respect me. If I say I don't know, they're not going to want to get behind me. Yeah, right. And so now I've got to pretend I have an answer. Instead of, you know what, there's a number of answers I'm looking at and we I'm standing, this is going to happen and we're probably going to have to explore a number of these answers before we find what's going to open up because a stand isn't dependent on it turning out. Key point, right? Because if I do something and I think that what I'm standing and it doesn't turn out, then I'm wondering if it really is going to happen versus Okay, now what can I learn from this? Now what's next? Right? It's it's not something. So the people who get something done that change that makes the biggest difference in the world, the people who stand, because their stand isn't dependent. And I think of guys like you know, if you think back, uh, Martin Luther King, what you could, you know, uh, Thomas Edison fails ten thousand times. Of course, there, you know, you ought to be ready to quit now. And he's like, no, I'm ten thousand steps closer to inventing the light bulb. Right. Because he's standing that way and everybody else is like, well, I'd be given up right now because look what a fool you're making of yourself. But that wasn't his problem. <laughs> right. He could see something. He was standing for something that was bigger than how he looked. And that's really key because I think a lot of leaders get 
really frustrated and they wanted to come now, I find myself saying, hey, let's play the long game. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's just there. I, you you put it so much better than I did. But the you know there's there is freedom in that type of transparency, and there's a lot of prisons in like okay, I have to not let them know how much of a how many questions I'm dancing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I think the 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 concealing of all of the internal questions is all is the way of being people because you know all right, what's that look like from somebody else's view? Oh, this guy's closed off. He's at a distance. He's arrogant, you know, he's whatever. That's that might be what they're experiencing in you if you're a leader, because you've not said, hey, here's where I'm committed to, here's where I'm headed, here's where I want us to be headed. I think you guys have as many answers as I do here, but I'm here to make sure we're in the, the best conversation that will reveal, get all the information to the table. And it's not about me, it's about us together. Um, but you got to give up. There's, there's like lots that you have to give up and embrace that, you know, I think when we think about leadership and how, how really vulnerable it is and people don't share about the vulnerability of being a leader enough, because this is a lot of where I think the vulnerability is, at least even for me, I really don't know. I've, I've got lots of, I, there's lots of things, lots of ideas, uh, and I'm committed to finding out the answer, but there's a lot, there's a lot more questions. I have a lot more questions than I think are, than I, than, I've got more questions than I think you'll accept. Yeah. And there are more. And, and if, when I'm not looking at the answer, I'm looking for a, an answer that works. Right. So there's many answers we're going to be dealing with that we're probably going to walk through, but we can't find them if we don't live in the question that most powerfully. And I think that's the biggest issue is the right questions, right? Because every one of us is living in a question. And that question generally automatically is, will I survive? And if I can, you know, it's like, that's really what I'm looking for is, and if I can notice that, then I can transcend it. I can ask a question that goes beyond that and invites me into a, a larger way of being in the world than just getting by and protecting myself so I can get up tomorrow and do the same thing. Yeah. Kierkegaard in that old phrase, despair that doesn't know itself as despair and that's the despair that we call tolerable you know that we can tolerate and call it happiness mm-hmm. right so it's so easy to slip into that at least for me uh yeah i remember the first time i heard that quote i mean the second part is what i remember hearing the first first time is you know, men find a level of despair that's tolerable and call it happiness i remember the first time i heard that i was like oh my gosh that is what i've been feeling oh since i remember feeling things yeah <laughs> <laughs> Is that, is that, oh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. They aren't the way it's supposed to be. And this is just what is. So let's just, you know, get by, get by. And, uh, that's just life. That's just life. You know, it is what it is. You know, a lot of people, you don't understand. That's the way relationship is. That's the way work is. That's the way Chad is. That's the way Dan is. That's the way. This is, that's the way COVID is. That's just the way the world is now. That's the way blah politics is. Politics is that's the way Republicans are. That's the way the Democrats are. Yep. That's just, that's just it. So let's just, you know, this is the whole, like, rearranging the furniture on the Titanic type thing. It's going down. So let's just do the best we can. Makes me think of VR. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's get married. Yeah. Fine. Oh, fine. Yeah. So yeah. this is uh, I, I, my invitation is just if you're listening to this, you 
connect to this language and figure out that, you know, we pulled out some uh, indicators of language that we're using. Adrian, you pulled out should, you know, not, identify the shoulds, identify where you're saying that's just the way it is. Right. Um, yep. And uh, or he is. I mean, there's so many. Think now about yeah. who you're busy judging. And, right. and I and the the judgment of the moment doesn't matter as much as the future that's generated by the judgment or the future that's shut down by the judgment. Like, so Tom is this way. Now that might be actually true in that moment in time, but that's the experience of Tom. Tom, Tom is arrogant. Let's just say great. Tom's arrogant. That might be my experience of Tom in this moment, but the, 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 atomic influence of the judgment is the future that comes with the judgment or the future that's impossible due to the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's a position, not a stand for Tom and your relationship with him and how he shows up in the work. Tom may be arrogant. I might be making up that arrogance means Tom doesn't care when in fact, arrogance could mean that Tom's afraid. He cares so much. He's afraid of how much he cares and he's afraid of being used. There's a million things it could mean. And inflate the difference between our experience or judgment of it and what else it might be other than what we've decided it to be. That's right. Well, you know, and, and, and as as a leader, as you think about, as you think about really what your big game is uh, as a leader, which is really to enlist other others into a vision and get all of their selves into that vision. Yeah. Put a nutshell on it. Maybe, maybe that's it. So if that's it, then Tom's arrogance isn't a big deal, except for it's a conversation waiting to happen. There's something happening for Tom, but here's, here's where I see it for myself. I see it in many of the people that I work with. I settle for, my judgment of Tom as if that's all that's there. That's just how he is. That's just how, therefore that's how it's going to be. And so now we're back to the Titanic and, you know, I can't see how I'm contributing. That's right. Yeah. But if I'm standing, I'm going to say, hold on. We, I don't know if we can get to the destination if Tom is as so. So let me, I wonder how to have a conversation with Tom about it in a way that gets Tom to the table and we can dance together in it. Cause it's, you know, which it, means it, I have to be open to Tom. I have to be really open, you know, but, you know training trainers. One of the things um, that I was trained and then I trained other trainers in is notice who you can't have a conversation with. Yeah. Notice who you have to make wrong. Notice who you get into combative conversations with, you know, and you're going in circles and how many, like, like how many people, if you have people leave your training, have you noticed any consistency in that and who's leaving? Yeah. You know, I had this one trainer who just had a hard time with really arrogant men or men of power. He called them arrogant, right? But they had an opinion, right? They just had an opinion. And it was hard for, he would get reactive and get combative. And I he'd come off, he goes, I got, he goes, do you notice? I, I, one time I told this, this, this trainer I'm talking about, I said, do you notice every time, a strong male stands up, you end up in some kind of little tit for tat. He goes, I do. I noticed that. I go, what do you think that is? He goes, I don't know. And about an hour or two later, he comes back. He goes, because I'm, I'm afraid they're stronger than me, or they're going to take over the room, or they're going to, if I listen to them, they're going to persuade me. And I, I said, great. And then I noticed he was much more inviting yeah. right after that. But that's one of the, it's kind of a principle where if I can't listen to somebody, I, it's really not about them. It's about what I'm making up about what they're saying. Yeah. And, and that's a big deal, man. If you think about 
if we're going to work with the diversity that's in this country, when we better, you know, and, and that's in the workplace, the, the, the different points of view, the different cultures, the different ways of looking at life, if we're going to bring them together, if you're a leader, then you, if I can't embrace them, if I can't hold them, if I can't be a container where they can be expressed and then we can find the best decisions out of them, invite them into that, then I'm going to probably have a lot of conflict and uh, it's going to bounce around a lot. You know, it's going to be push and pull and resistant. Yeah. Not as not as a, not as um, synergistic as it could be. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think in uh, something in closing, uh, as we just finish this thing up, is like Dan, as you're talking, I'm just thinking how we we preserve and we think we're we think we're preserving energy by holding back by having a position rather than taking a stand, but we're really expending so much more energy or long-term pain. Like it's long-term pain, short-term gain. I got out of that, that rub, but I've got on and it's ongoing. Now it's getting on other people. And <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, just, I think that's a great thought to, to end on. And thanks so much for this conversation. This has been fantastic. Um, and I think this is, this can fold into a couple more conversations, this podcast, what, it, you know, there's so much more here to talk about what it looks like to, to be a stand for yourself, your company and your people. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. All right. Bye-bye everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. 